Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. I do believe this experience, allowing myself to believe that it's okay for me to do this for myself, to come do it, to come to believe that I am worthy of that, saved my life. Because I lived for years trying to survive, trying not to end my life. It was that dark because I was in that deep of a crisis mode that I didn't know how to move forward. And you're right, I do think a lot of people believe that you know, life isn't possible after tragedy, and I've lived that way for many, many years. But milestones set the foundation and literally saved my life and put me on that path. Hey friends, today marks our final episode of Treating Trauma's Stories of Healing series, and Christopher and I get to sit down with Milestones alum, Brooke Scherer. Last week, we talked to her husband, Jordan, and today we get to dig into Brooke's story as we further examine the effects of trauma on her life and the profound healing she experienced during her time at Milestones. While knee-deep in what she describes as the darkest years of her life, Brooke decided to pursue healing at Milestones after gentle encouragement from Jordan, who had recently attended. After witnessing the undeniable shift in him after he came home, she became hopeful that real healing might be possible for her too. We close out this episode by welcoming Jordan back to illuminate the beautiful unfolding of Brooke's continued healing and the newfound intimacy of their deepened connection. So please join me in welcoming Brooke Scherer. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Uh, for our listeners, I'm Christopher O'Reilly, Vice President of Milestones, and we have Nicole Ingram here with us Hi. today. So super excited to do this. We'll just kind of see where it goes. No strong sort of agenda or path. I love to ask people and knowing your story, I'm just smiling a little bit, um, yeah. but loving to ask, you know, how did milestones get on your radar and, you know, more so like for you and deciding to come and to do this kind of work and I'll keep that wide open, just see where you take it. Well, Christopher played a huge part, <laughs> actually, but it started with my husband, Jordan, who uh, almost a year ago, actually started his own journey into milestones. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, at that point I, I was in therapy, you know, outpatient therapy, sometimes three times a week, you know, and, and, you know, Jordan and I are, are parents of child loss and we've been in, you know, we were in therapy before that, mm. but after our son Logan was killed, we hit grief heavy. 
Yeah. We hit it very heavy. So, you know, and he, he passed away almost seven years ago. So, you know, outside of what we had done before, you know, we were in constant groups and counseling and, and everything and had been since he passed. Since 2020, I had been personally in therapy um, with various providers, grief, somatic, a counselor, you know, so at some points, like I said, three times a week. And yeah. I thought that was, I was doing, you know, what I needed to be doing mm-hmm. to heal and move on. Yeah. And so Jordan comes down here and I think it was in with, within a couple of weeks, he was calling home and saying, you know, you may consider this. Mm. And I, I remember distinctly saying, I don't need this. I mean, I'm already in therapy. I don't need yeah. it. And he would gently say it, you know, here and there. Weeks would pass and he'd say it. And he was here for a total of eight weeks. So I probably heard it, you know, three or four times. And mm-hmm. and I still kept saying, you know, no. And then by by about the time he came home, I was like, maybe I'll go do an individual intensive. You know, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do a group. And then two weeks after he comes home, uh, we come down here for family weekend. And, you know, that changed everything for me, actually. Mm, yeah. You know, I have lived my life under the guise of hidden trauma. And that's what I recognized at Family Weekend. Mm. You know, for a long time, I thought the only trauma that I have been living with uh, was the death of our son. Mm. And I have used that as the, this is what defines me. But coming to Family Weekend and Bobby working his magic, and, you know, Christopher was sitting in that weekend, something happened during one of the geniogram psychodramas that we did that brought to memory an event that happened, you know, I was only Mm. a few years old. Mm. And that floored me. Like back in the recesses of my mind, I had pushed this all the way back. Mm. And as we sat there during family weekend and I marinated on this, certain other events started to pop up. Mm. And I started to think, well, maybe it's not just, you know, this one event, you know, this catastrophic event in our lives. Maybe there's more to it. And it really did it. It. I just, I felt like I had been bulldozed by the time I came home from family weekend. I felt mm. raw and exposed and I didn't know where to go from there. And Jordan, you know, we came home on Monday and I was on the phone, you know, with admissions the next day. Oh. And I was down here within, I think a week and a half, two weeks. Mm. And then, you know, that's what started my eight week journey, Mm. my own milestones, eight week journey. Such a powerful experience to make you (laughs) call so quickly. It was very eye opening. Yeah. That, I mean, like I said, raw is an understatement almost because I remember going home and, you know, we'd go out and sit on the, the front porch after the girls would go to bed. And I remember telling Jordan and he would tell me his stories, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, from milestones Mm -hmm. But I remember just kind of feeling in a daze because I was like, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, this is all so profound to me that, you know, I'm, mm. I'm hearing your experiences and I'm, it's starting to unlock all of these experiences yeah. that I had as, you know, yeah. all of, not just as a child, sure. but throughout my entire life. Sure, mm. sure. Wow, that is powerful. Was it, Brooke, for you, was it a, I need to go, I want to go, a little bit of both? Like, how would you describe sort Mm -hmm. of the feelings about taking this next step? (laughs) Do I want to go? 
That's that's an interesting <laughs> question to answer because do I you know, deserve to go? Now that one, very interestingly, I did not believe that I deserved to go. Mm. Okay. I think that's kind of what held me back too, yeah. because a common thing that I would say, not just before I came, but for a long time after I was here, you know, you get in and you meet these community members. And I even compared myself to Jordan. And I thought, I don't, you know, so many other people deserve to be here. I don't know why I'm here. Mm. So, no, I didn't think, you know, I know differently now. I very much believe we all deserve, you know, a chance at this kind of healing. But I didn't believe that I deserved to. But I felt a very strong intuitive pull that that was the next step for Mm. me. Gotcha. Um, And I'm a very intuitive person, you know, and and along this journey, you know, that trust the process shirt, you know, shirts and the sweats (laughs) we all wear. I mean, there is something to that. And, you know, once you, once you unlock that knowledge, that knowing you trust the ability to trust the process, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you start to see all of those things unfold. And I think for me, you know, I've, I've, I have that intuitive I had that intuitive knowing, but I have since learned that my whole life has been based, has been rooted in fear. Mm -hmm. I was taught fear from a very, very young age, and it has just grown and grown and grown all of my life. When I think about the fear piece you just talked about, Mm -hmm. I mean, you were doing outpatient therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, were some of the ways that your traumatic experiences or the, you know, your upbringing impacted you, was it more subtle, would you say? Because like when I... Like living in fear or having fear being a barrier to like growing, like sometimes that can be kind of, we don't even recognize it. So yes and no. There are certain events from my past that I have uncovered that were not subtle. Okay. Those were the ones as I uncovered them, I realized my brain had pushed far enough back that I had forgotten about them. Mm. Uh, What was interesting, doing the trauma timeline really, you know, that we're all required to do in our small groups really brought a lot of those events to the surface that Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about in many, many years. It's like, you know, so much kind of, it it all just kind of got buried Mm -hmm. over the, you know, the day in and day out of, Mm -hmm. of, of life, the stresses, you know, but as for the rest of it, I look back and it is very subtle. You know, I see things, I see who I was, I see the reasons I made decisions or acted the way I did. I now know was based out of that. I was taught to fear and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, and that, that just grew more and more. And it's like, after it caught hold Mm -hmm. and I can't tell you when specifically it caught hold, but I can see how it became this tree that was rooted in the mm. ground and then these branches just yeah. started to diverge mm-hmm. off of the trunk or off of the tree itself. Yeah. And I mean, I see, and only because of the work, but I see mm. so much now. And, mm. you know, it's very interesting because it's very easy to fall back into feeling guilt or shame mm-hmm. for acting the way I did or making the decisions I did. Or, yeah. you know, there even there have been times where I thought, well, I made this decision and ultimately it led to our son's death. But the thing is, is that you only know what you know when you know it. And I was just doing what I, you know, had been taught as a child and through, you know, 
my home environment through yeah. peers, you yeah. know, the things that I learned and my brain protecting me all along the way. What's mm. the best protective mechanism? Yeah. Well, for me, it's yeah. to shut down. Yeah. It's to go into the, the dorsal, you know, yeah. I go very much into dorsal and I became, you know, antisocial and I will sure. shut down. And sure. that is my protective mechanism. And that started very early. Yeah. I was actually very extroverted mm-hmm. as a young child. As a young child, okay. I'm not anymore. Mm. That's something I still need to work on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, what, you know, uh, what you just described, it's almost like a, a warning label that needs to be on this. Because sometimes when you gain awareness, you can kind of be frustrated with previous decisions or mm. things like that. But, you know, like you described, Brooke, I mean, we do the best with what we got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have awareness into things, there's not much you can do about it. And that's kind of the crux of this situation, mm. I feel, is yeah. that... Going down this path has created such an amazing amount of awareness. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's awareness that I wish I would have had decades ago. Mm. Because there is always that part of my brain that goes back to, could I have prevented this? Mm. Could this have been different? And for me, at the end of the day is, could my son still be alive? Mm. You know, and that's, that is... You know, so I do believe, yeah. you know, Megan, who I worked with a lot here, did something very monumental for me. And it actually changed the entire course. It, it not necessarily changed the course of being here, but the course of my life. It kind of wrapped all of this up into this beautiful package. Mm. And she had me create a spiritual timeline mm. of my life events. And at our very last meeting, she asked me to marry my trauma timeline with my spiritual timeline. Wow. It was something that I've thought about. I had thought yeah. about previously, but until it was out there in front of me, mm. I never got to see how even in the darkest of traumas and darkest of events, there have been outcomes that have happened that have made this experience worthwhile. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I have to take every time I shift into that, could I have saved him? Could I have made other choices? Had I had this awareness years ago, I always have to bring myself back into the present and say, you know, again, you only knew what you knew, but, you know, you have this, these events that have come since. So for example, we have a beautiful three and a half year old daughter now. And it is very, it is very difficult sometimes for me to think that I could not have had her without him. And, you know, and I can't have him Mm. and her at the same time, you know, but that's kind of where this discovery has, has led into the, that it was an event and, you know, your child may be gone, but this timeline has led you to yet another gift Mm -hmm. that, you know, doesn't fill that hole by any means. Nothing will ever fill that hole, but she is, you know, she's an amazing human Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have had otherwise, you know? So it's kind of where I have to bring things full. Yeah. That ability to hold two things at once. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember Brooke, last time I spoke with you, you said, and I don't even know if you realize like the profound (laughs) nature of the thing that came out of your mouth was, but you said, I don't know why this is my story, but it's mine. And the ownership, I get the chills even 
just like repeating it back to you, the ownership over like, this is what I have and I'm going to make the most of it. And it was really beautiful and really profound, but also probably a result of the work that you've done here. It, 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 I would say so. It is still something that I do struggle with. And this yeah. is where the tears may come up because it is, you know, I, I look back at my previous life. I, I was a tenured college professor in 2016. And, you know, I was teaching graphic design. I loved my job. I was traveling with my students. I was doing so many things. I rebuilt, you know, a program, the graphic design program where I was at from, from the ground up. You know, I was a published author. I was doing really amazing things for my professional life. Yeah. I had these two, you know, amazing little kids where Saturdays were soccer and we have such a precocious, you know, our oldest daughter, she, at that age, she was, she was five when Logan passed away, but she was precocious and she kept us on our toes, you know, but we would go to Disney because we lived in Florida. We lived in Tampa and, you know, we'd go to Disney on one weekend because we were 45 minutes from there. And, you know, we'd go to the beach the other weekend you know, because we were 45 minutes away from the beach. So our family life was, you know, we were the all-American middle-class family doing our thing. But, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, that was our family and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, the bottom just falls through. And it actually started about a year before Logan died. There was a very traumatic event in our lives that directly involved Logan. And that started me down this path of, of, stress and overload and crisis. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, have never been able to, or I never could understand then what was going on. Of course, now I know. But that crisis led into Logan's death and that death was a crisis. And then we had things behind it, such as, you know, litigation and this Mm -hmm. criminal trial that, you know, we're on the cusp of now, you know, five years after after that case was opened, we're finally going to trial, you know, and that's seven years, almost seven years after Logan was killed. But, you know, so we have all of this piling on and all of this trauma and stress, the body can only handle so much. And I am the poster child for not understanding what that does to the body, not giving enough self-care, but also finding myself in crisis and staying in crisis because I don't know what to do, mm. you know. And and I I went into the worst crisis episode imaginable at the beginning of 2020, and I stayed there for a couple of years. And and it wasn't for you know me not trying to get out of it. You know, yeah. again, I was in therapy three yeah. times a week, mm-hmm. right? So I thought I was doing everything I could. But I mean, my whole body went into, I was, you know, in a dissociative nature for a while. I couldn't understand what was going on. All of these health issues started to crop up between 2020 and pretty much, you know, coming to milestones were the darkest years of my life. Mm -hmm. And I look back often and I think, how did this ever, how is that my story? And Mm -hmm. if I was someone looking on the outside, I, if I was me, 10 years ago, looking at me now, I would think to myself, thank God that's not me. Mm. Yeah. And I, so I look at that and I go, how is this my life? You know, but that, 
morphed into something bigger. You know, Jordan and I um, ran a nonprofit for a long time after Logan died for distracted driving because Logan was killed by a distracted driver. And talking about that trauma day in and day out, you know, helped lead to that crisis mode because I didn't have the tools right behind me, not like I do now. And we're again on the cusp of this criminal trial, but we're able to keep our heads above water because we've been to milestones. We've processed, you know, a lot of that trauma and we're working very hard in aftercare. But I can't help but think this is my story and it's gross. It's really, it's dark and it's messy and it's muddy. But there's also so much light and beauty at the end of it that I feel gifted by. It's been very hard getting to where I'm at Mm -hmm. now. And things haven't, I mean, they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't expect them to ever Mm -hmm. be perfect. But there are people who are out there right now who are in the shoes that I walked in for a long time. And I have to question, why is this my story? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because others need to know. Yeah. Because in 2020, when I hit my crisis mode, you know, Jordan was trying to figure out what are, what can we do for you? Mm-hmm. And I knew inpatient, you know, just an inpatient in the hospital was, was not on the table. You know, we tried the meds route. Mm-hmm. Those didn't work. It just made me worse. I've thought to myself, would I have lost two and a half years had I known something like this existed, yeah. you know? Wow. Yeah. And so now it's, for me, it's like, what can I do to help others understand? Mm. Well, and there's such a big gap between doing outpatient counseling and needing to be hospitalized. Yes. Mm. And when I say needing to be hospitalized, typically people who find themselves in a hospital program, it's like because they're a danger to themselves or others and and they really are in cr- serious crisis and that's a there's a big gap Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting to me because it's like there's not a lot of residential trauma programs Mm -hmm. in the country and when people finally find milestones or the couple others that are similar milestones it's like it's such a relief because you just it's not a common thing and you wonder where have you been all this time why wasn't this on my radar before. Mm-hmm. And I do believe everything in its time. Yeah. I really yeah. do everything, sure. you know, in its time and place. But I also think, oh, man, <laughs> I know it would have just been yeah. really nice to, yeah. you know, have found this years ago, yeah. many years ago, honestly. So if we could back up a little mm-hmm. to when you got here, like what arrival was like, Jordan kind of described what that felt like for him. And I'd love to hear, you know, you were here at a different time. So I'd love to hear what that felt like when you got here and what you know, your first week was like. So I, I had it a little bit different than most, I think, um, and much different than Jordan. And the fact that um, Christopher and the team actually allowed me to overlap with a few of the people that he had been here with. So, I mean, I, you know, like I said, within, I think a couple of weeks I was, after he, or after family weekend, I was here. And so there were a handful of people mm. that I'd already met because I had been here at family mm-hmm. weekend and got to spend some time with some of them. And that for me, you know, I was, I remember driving down and being a mess, my anxiety, you know, those two weeks sitting around. So he got to come like within a couple of days <laughs> <Immediately>. of admission, <laughs> which 
honestly, I would have so much more preferred mm. because waiting around for, I think it was a week and a half. Like a sand oh, timer, wow. really. <laughs> yes, it really was. That yeah. A week and a half felt like about six months. Yeah. It was could, brutal. Yeah, Plus, it allowed sense. me to way overpack. I oh. <laughs> They were making fun of me on the way out of the door. Like she has a lot of shoes. Yeah, oh my gosh. Well, but I mean, to be fair, Jordan was the one who said, you're going to need this and this and mm. this and this. So I kind of blamed him for the, you know, 400 bags that I brought. So, so when I got here, I knew that I already knew people and that helped a little. Um, in fact, there was one community member that I remember walking in and everybody had been kayaking that day. So mm. when I got here, it was quiet. But when I walked into the house and they had all, you know, taken their showers and, and whatever, this one client I had met and, and spoken to some during family weekend. And he walked in, he walked in the door and he looked at me and he smiled and he walked up and he gave me a great big hug and he said, it's so good to see you. Mm. And, you know, that kind of set the stage for, I mean, I was a deer in headlights mm. as everybody is. Yeah. I don't care how many people you may know coming in, but that right there, I think, you know, showed me, it just, it felt, I felt okay. Yeah. But the staff, I, I have got to commend the staff and the CAs for really, they know that you're freaking out. They know that your anxiety is really high, but they go out of their way, you know, to do what they can to talk you through and to make you feel more comfortable. And that right there, looking back, made it a lot easier. Now, I was still very shell-shocked. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, I, like I said, I'm a very introverted person mm -hmm. anyway. Not that you can tell with the amount that I talk. <laughs> but you put me in I a room with two. most people, and I'm the last to speak up. Mm -hmm. I'm the last, you know, person who really wants to be seen. And the first night sitting in the, in the great room, you know, I knew most of the people in there. And there was, you know, this big commotion going on. But they got me involved, mm. you know. And, and I know that that was the same way with Jordan. Jo some of Jordan's fondest memories were the people, you know, who came up to him when he got here, you know. Mm. And the one person that was supposed to be his roommate was, you know, like, right there. Hi, I'm your roommate. <laughs> and Jordan was like, whoa, I just got here, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of like you're, you're deer in headlights, but people know where you've been, mm. And they want you to feel yeah, at home because sure. they understand just this overwhelm that you're experiencing. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think, I mean, I think I, I settled in fairly easily after the first probably week. Yeah. But it wasn't something that I ever was really nervous about or yeah. felt unwelcome or outside of the community because everybody finds their little, you know, pods, yeah. but yeah. in a, a rounded sense, everybody really comes together because they do a really good job of putting you in, you know, you've got your, your core group, but then you do, you know, your other groups and they mix you up. So you, you have the ability to, yeah. to get to meet and be with everybody. That's great. I'm curious for you, Brooke, the, uh, individual work, the group work, the adventure work, the equine work, like, what are some things that really stick out to you that were super impactful? And and not that we're looking for like the biggest aha moment, but I'm just kind of wondering how that all landed with you and like what kind of helped you in our programming, like really make progress in your healing. So one of the best, actually, I got two very, very good pieces of advice uh, very early on that stuck with me. And one was to ask for what you need or mm. to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And the other, and this is a shout out to Ian right here, was to get curious. Mm. 
And those two things allowed me, I think, to further develop my own type of care plan. So I started to, you know, I got here and I started to explore, you know, all of these different activities. And I started to figure out where, you know, my soul really felt like it needed to be in order to heal and grow. EMDR sessions for me were profound. Mm. I, and, and I mean, I, all of my therapists love doing EMDR with me because I have just that much in my brain mm. that needs to be worked through. Yeah. But I also very much love the more spiritual components. I love doing bowls with Marie. Mm. Uh, Breathworks with Lindsay was mm-hmm. profound, mm. profound. You know, the meditation, mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, there were some adventures that I really geeked out on. Uh, the pamper pole. Mm-hmm. I was not going to do it. Was not going to do it. I think I was. Jordan got stuck on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Well, and so (laughs) I was not going to do it. And I'm like, you're, there's no way you're going to make me climb that pole. And then the community, God love some of the people in the community. They were very, very persuasive. And supportive. I, they were. Supportive. Yeah, they, reframe. Uh, uh, reframe. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> supportive. Um, but, you know, what was interesting is the very first adventure I did when I was here uh, was the trust fall down oh. at the bottom of the hill. Sure. And that was, I mean, falling backwards off of this porch into people's arms. Mm. I mean, you really have to be able to trust. So when I climbed that pamper pole, when I finally got up there, because I got up there, Jordan got stuck, but I refused to go to the very top. Mm. I was, you know, listen, I'm 42. (laughs) I was not about with all of these, you know, younger kids that were just climbing up like it's nothing. I've had three kids. I wasn't going to the Imagining myself trying to do that. I mean, listen, I got up there, right? I didn't make it to the top, but I didn't climb all the way. But I found myself in this very interesting position of being backwards, like mm. my back was to mm. where I had to fall. So where everybody was climbing up top and then jumping off, I'm holding on to this pole for dear life. And the only way for me to come off this pole was to fall backwards. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And I was able to take a breath, close my eyes and fall backwards. Mm. And I think that was that was one of, you know, the most profound yeah. memories from adventure anyway. Sure. You know, the ability to get up there. Yeah. And feel within my body all of that anxiety and that cortisol rushing through and that adrenaline and all of that. And to be able for the first time to take a breath and be able to trust it and Mm. fall backwards. It was incredible. I'd do it again anytime. For our listeners, falling backwards, wearing a harness. Yes, yes, we were. I know. I was going to. And a helmet. I had a helmet on too. I wondered if we needed to. (laughs) For our listeners. Break that down. So, Brooke, how do you like, you know, you just talk about all the different, some different modalities and different staff and just like, what, what would you say? Like, how did milestones impact you? You you, you did such a beautiful job of explaining like what you came to milestones with. Mm. I think we all understand that healing is a process. It's not about milestones. It's it's about where you were, what you did, what you continue to do. But like, how do you reflect on your milestones experience and like, what did you gain from that? Mm-hmm. Well, if I could move in permanently, I would. <laughs> I mean, you know, all kidding aside, there have been times where I think back to the safety and 
the work and just the overall sense of wellness that I gained while being mm. here. And like when life gets, when life gets tough, you know, it's easy to fall back and think, man, I miss the days where, because you can breathe here. Yeah. I mean, you, you get to, and that's what you were talking about earlier about yeah. when you're an outpatient, you know, therapies mm-hmm. that I've learned kind of gets you from day to day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get you that overall. So, you know, that though being here that safety that room to breathe gave me the ability for the first time in my life to really go inward mm. to let down my guard and my guard is very high and mm. has been for a very long time mm. on logan's logan's angel date is september 15th and um, i was here for that mm. and i had I was with Tara, my adjunct that afternoon, and I know she very strategically placed me with her in the last session of the day because I think she knew what she had planned for that day. If we would have done it in the beginning, I would have been mushed the rest of the day. But she pulls me in and we have this, I'm going to call it now beautiful session. It was not beautiful at the time. And in fact, there were moments I was telling her, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. And it was focused around the experience of the day that my son was killed because I unfortunately witnessed everything, everything that day. And that lives in my brain. However, what came out of that experience was the ability to view it differently. Mm. So at the end of the day, where I stood on the side of the road with my son before me, who, is, who was deceased, who had been in a car that was hit very hard while we were stopped on the interstate. Those images that were burned into my brain still exist, but I don't see them like that anymore mm-hmm. because of what Tara provided me that day through that therapy. In fact, what I see is almost myself standing on the side behind my body And I see a light behind Logan's body. So while I know that that image of him being there, what I saw that day will never go away, I view it differently. It's more, it's not peace. It's not happiness or cheerfulness by any means. But it's, I believe it's the ability to look at my son in his real form in his light in his love in his pure nature as opposed to that little boy on the side of the road mm-hmm. who just lost his life and that gift has done so much for me i can't even begin to describe and as we're on the cusp of this criminal trial now i've i'm in a very safe therapeutic environment as i work to prepare but I listened to the 911 call I placed a couple of weeks ago, which is something I had never planned on wow. ever hearing. Wow. But I have to, to go to trial. Wow. And I walked away from that 911 call almost immediately after, and it was hard to listen to. I mean, I could feel it viscerally, yeah. but I was able to sit there and stay grounded and use my tools to remind myself that I am in the here and now, that I am not back listening to that call. That was, that was then, this is now. Mm-hmm. So much of my body, especially when it went into crisis mode in 2020, was, was an event that triggered 
very closely to that original day. And my body, I know now, my brain and my body thought it was back on September 15th of yeah. 2016. And that's when it broke. Yeah. Wow. It just couldn't hold that trauma anymore. Mm-hmm. My biggest fear all along has been, what happens when we go to trial? Yeah. Am I going to have the same breakdown that I did when it was supposed to happen three years ago? Mm-hmm. But I have now faced a two-day intensive working around that trial. I've listened to the 911 call. I've done prep with the attorney. Jordan and I are about to do another intensive this week together to face that trial. I was going to not go to that trial for Mm. a long time. I was too scared of it. And now I know that it is. It is in my best interest for my own well-being to be there and to use my voice Mm -hmm. and to stand strong, not just for myself and for Jordan and our daughter Mallory, who was in the car with us that day and lost her brother. But it's also for Logan. Mm -hmm. I have to be that voice for him, no matter the outcome. You know, this guy could go to prison. He may not. That's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's about using my voice. It's about advocating, right? But it's also about proving to myself that I'm not going to have this breakdown again, Mm -hmm. that I have grown to the point. I have the tools. I have the resources. I have the resilience to make it through Mm -hmm. this chapter, this finale or, you know, this this final part of of this horrific chapter, the court system chapter anyway. You know, Logan, the the chapter on Logan will never close, but the court system and. That is that is just one of the major gifts that I have mm-hmm. taken from here. Yeah. There are so many more, but yeah. you know, I'm I don't even know how to respond to that, <laughs> yeah, bro, I'm but sorry. I just no, it's no, I, I'm not that, but it's just like, wow, yeah, and I'm so grateful Tara was able to provide that with you. I'm so grateful yeah. that you've continued to prepare yourself and to mm-hmm. take care of yourself. It's like so many people don't know that life after tragedy is possible yeah. or to rebuild strength or to, to see things differently. And it probably isn't alone Mm-mm. possible, Mm-mm. but what you're describing and like what you and Jordan are kind of showing the world is yeah. that with the right support and help and knowing that you're worthy of it yeah. and you need it because life works in mysterious ways and you have other children and Mm. there's advocacy work to be done. I mean, there's just so much like things are possible. Well, and you know, I have to say that, you know, the continued work is essential. Mm -hmm. I mean, we continue to learn more, grow more, have aha moments, get stronger as we continue, you know, the work and Jordan and I work very, very hard still both individually and together. But I do believe this experience, allowing myself to believe that it's okay for me to do this for myself, yeah. to come do it, to come to believe that I am worthy of that, mm. saved my life. Yeah, Because I lived for years trying to survive, trying not to end my life. It was that dark because I was in that deep of a crisis mm. mode that I didn't know how to move forward. And you're right. I do think a lot of people believe that, you know, life isn't possible after tragedy. And I've lived that way for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And it will never take away, you know, the pain of anything from my past, regardless of if it was from, you know, childhood trauma or 
the trauma that happened when I was a teenager or even, you know, before Logan died, because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of that along the way. I still grapple with a lot of that Mm -hmm. and I have to continue to work on it. Mm -hmm. But milestones set the foundation and literally saved my life and put me on that path. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember asking Ian at one point, you know, I said, well, what if, what if I walk away and things haven't healed? You know, Mm -hmm. I spent eight weeks here. And what if that's not long enough? And Ian told me, he said, remember, you know, being here isn't a cure. Yeah. But it sets the foundation mm-hmm. for you to be able to move forward with it. Yeah. And it, you know, out of the fear of everything, I was like, I, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know, but I have let go of that fear. Mm-hmm. I have been able to let go of that fear and just kind of, trust that process it's so beautiful just let it happen and unfold yeah. the way it's supposed to yeah. i to kind of echo what christopher said just you talked about using your voice like for your child and for your family and for yourself and i am so grateful for you to just use it now to share with people that healing is possible and i also wanted to share that when i am talking to you and to your husband jordan i'm thinking of a tree mm-hmm. like this, the fortification of like a real deeply rooted tree and how like all the elements come, sun, they could scorch it, whatever, but like the growing down and that connectedness of you've got, Christopher just talked about your community and all the people you've surrounded yourself with and the commitment to connecting with each other and like speaking to each other. I'm imagining like the crackling of the roots of the trees down, but what you shared is just so profound and I think necessary for the health of any person is like to get rooted and to be committed to flourishing. Like that's what I'm hearing and I can see it and I'm just really grateful for you sharing it. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to, I mean, I tell people all the time, we talk about our experience with pretty much everybody we meet, Mm. honestly. I mean, yeah, you've come to know Jordan and myself. Again, we're very we're very talkative. He's, of course, much more talkative than I am. But <laughs> we talk to, you know, almost everyone we meet. We we will tell the story. And I always tell people I wear my milestones badge with honor. Mm. For a long time, all of the work or all of, you know, the experiences that I had, I felt shame around. Yeah. I didn't want to tell people about this experience that happened because I was shameful. I didn't want to tell people about this because I felt guilty. I didn't want people to look at me poorly or, or think, well, you know, well, that's, you know, you know, you know the yeah. things that people yeah. say, yeah. right? I mean, you yeah. do, yeah. Yeah. but I share it now and I'm like, listen, I spent eight weeks in residential trauma and it was the best gift I could have ever given to myself. And I think that if we are able to remove the stigma around that, I mean, mm-hmm. because how many people do you think don't want to come because of the stigma. They know that they could use it or that yeah. it's right for them, mm. but there is a stigma I think around there, it. Yeah, I think there's a stigma. And part of that is like the fear of the unknown. It's like yeah. the, the, there's a stigma that there might be a stigma, but I think the stigma that we create in our minds is even more intense, mm. you know? But yeah, there's, I could top five reasons people, you know, whatever, but, but, you know, stigma is certainly up there and just fear of the unknowns. Another one, just people find it difficult to pause life to, to heal. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, we're all, a lot of people are in survival mode Mm -hmm. and the thought of getting out of that to actually do some of the deeper work so that you can thrive is 
they just don't see the possibility. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I do understand that, you know, but that's the thing we had, you know, one spouse who went for eight weeks and then we traded off and the other spouse, you know, went for eight weeks and, you know, we're still here. I mean, in fact, we, you know, packed everything up in Indianapolis and moved down to the Nashville area so we could continue our work, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's how much this has been Mm -hmm. life-changing for us. And, you know, that's the one thing I just, I so strongly encourage is, you know, like Jordan said, you know, with you earlier is, you know, allow yourself to open that door, Mm -hmm. you know, that door, I was scared, the unknown, the fear, yeah. And I opened it and man, I'm running forward and mm-hmm. will never look back from before that door. Yeah. You know, that is not a person that I will ever be again. And you know what the beautiful thing is too, is that if I know that I hit a point, God forbid, if I hit a point that I need something, I know where I can come, yeah. you know, and that gives me a mm-hmm. very stable safety net, yeah. some reassurance mm-hmm. that if something should ever happen. Sure. I don't, I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't. I don't yeah. foresee it because yeah. we have wonderful people that we're working with now mm-hmm. with our aftercare, but I know that it's here, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's great. And it's not a here or there thing, right? Like, cause you just, what do you need in this moment? Mm-hmm. You just get what you need and that's so important. Well, we are going to welcome Brooke's partner, Jordan, in to share kind of his experience of her after milestones. So- Hang tight. All right. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming in for this. We just spent some time talking to Brooke about her experience and things. And, you know, again, we just have this great opportunity to kind of, as the two of you are married and partners, like kind of getting different perspective. And I'm just curious from your end. I mean, you were instrumental in getting her to milestones and also reflecting on the family program weekend, you know, and uh, just, you know, what was it like for you, for her to come here and support her while she was here? And even when she came home, I mean, I just leaving it wide open just to see what your thoughts are as her partner. I knew that after my own experience here, what the possibilities could be for Brooke and what that new journey could open up for her, you know, uh, in her own sort of healing and recovery. I knew that based on what I experienced that how, how transformative that could be for her too. And I felt that she deserved it. I felt that it was necessary, you know, not, not from me pushing, but, for her to grab a hold of the idea too, that as she had started to expose some of those hidden things, some of those traumas for herself in her conversations and in the work that she was doing on her own while I was here, I, I kind of felt like the writing was on the wall, so to speak, that, that she deserved this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and as she came home, or as as we were transitioning her back to back to life, it was it was there. It was there. I mean, oh, she's taken this corner. She's taken this turn. Mm-hmm. This turn into sort of a new path. And so much had opened up for her. So much understanding and awareness, and a better understanding of of the journey that I had taken or had begun. And for herself, and it's just such a, 
I knew that it was going to be power, just as powerful as it was for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has been, and it continues to be. Mm. And um, our journeys are a little bit different. Sure. But no less significant. No less significant. I'm thinking about Brooke coming home and you kind of knowing a little bit about what she got into. Did you guys have like a major debrief or did you just kind of observe? Like, you know, there's an explicit way probably to do it. Like, tell me everything. (laughs) And there's also like, just let her be and breathe. And I'm just so curious what that looked like. There's a, there's a certain unspoken line to toe there. And it was, it was, there was a series of conversations, Mm. you know, there was a lot and then a little and a lot and a little. And, you know, it, just as it was for me, is this whole kind of set of evenings of debriefing mm. for the girls would be put, you know, the girls would go to bed and, and we'd hang out and we'd just talk. And that was, that was the really cool part for yeah. both of us in each turn, sort of getting to reconnect anew yeah. with everything yeah. that had come to us. I can very much say we didn't watch TV in the evening <laughs> for quite a while because we continued to just sort of debrief yeah and each day was, was something new you know in the in the continued work and the journey mm. very organic yeah it was very just like, yes hey i have this to talk about or i need mm. to share this or you know as we would continue to check in with our friends and hey this is going on and you know it's so and that continues yeah that's now. awesome so and i'm sensing a lot of joy around that like not that that was like a chore to do after you put your kids down but like okay let's I don't know like something beautiful to bring in very much was that very much very much is this beautiful unfolding of of kind of new experience Mm. new new enlightenment yeah I'm just guessing but it sounds like even like a whole new level of intimacy as far as just like being vulnerable I'm just like picturing the two of you on the porch just like you know just connecting in a different way and I'm sure, you know, again, it's not all beautiful and easy and all that kind of stuff, but it just sounds like not it was, all sunshine and rainbows, that's but right. it's that's much right. more, it's much more real and it is more intimate because we're sharing, we are, yeah. we are connecting. Sure. And there's power in the simplicity of that yeah. growth. Yeah. Really great to hear that from you, Jordan, as far as your, you know, experience of Brooke's time at Milestones and when she came home. Um, anything to add to that, Brooke, from your perspective? Oh, I have so many things to add to that. <laughs> Actually, it was um, what was I really enjoyed, you know, after Jordan came home, you know, from his time here, those those porch talks. So Jordan was very much like, I, you know, he wants to share, wants to share. Mm-hmm. And it was great hearing all of that and hearing those experiences. But there was a sense of I just, I don't fully understand too, but it was great to hear, you know, everything he had to say, but there's a point where, you know, as the spouse, you're kind of like, well, I wasn't there. I don't really get it. So after, you know, being here for a time and then starting to understand, and then you know who the person's talking about. Um, when I left, I though, because I am, you know, again, that introverted nature, it's, it was harder for me to really open up in the immediate. So we'd still, we were still talking, but mine would kind of organically evolve over time. But what changed so much for us 
was the fact that these conversations, so we went from basically not having conversations Mm -hmm. for a long time in our marriage Mm -hmm. to now we have regular conversations, but also as the walls begin to drop and the safety reemerges for the both of us, Mm. we know what we can say to each other and how we can, or even how to preface something that we need to say. You know, and that's what I think is really amazing is that we actually have open communication about our needs, our feelings, our wants, without worrying about how the other is going to explode or react or want to run, if that makes sense. So for me, I believe, you know, intimacy, yes, in terms of having that, you know, that closeness and communication being able to share, talk about your feelings and mm-hmm. what's going on, but also the fact that you can, we can have these conversations about things that are not very easy to now mm-hmm. and hold the space for each other. I'm really grateful because I don't, I don't know that I'd be on the same level with things had I not, if I didn't have the same shared experience, the same shared language. Sure. Sure. Yeah, there, of the above. There's, and I know exactly, you know, what she's, what she's pointing to because I had so much to say about the experience, but she literally could not connect those dots until she'd had the experience herself. Right. Right. And then had her own perspective reference. Yeah. Um, which then would unfold for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm even just thinking like a timeline, like Jordan was sharing with us in his one-on-one episode, like, that period of time before coming to milestones where he just kind of ha- w- was out of the home just for everyone's sake. Right. And, and to think about that and then fast forward several weeks and these intimate close conversations on the porch and like the unit is sort of reforming and, and it's absolutely because of the work that Jordan's done and, and then the work that you're doing. And it's just this beautiful healing that's a that's quite a journey. Oh, for sure. We've we've had quite a few quite a journeys <laughs> in our in our twenty years together. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's it's just a beautiful thing. All right, so Brooke, just one final question for you for today. Just thinking about the people listening and people who might, in one way or another, really resonate with either your story or just some of the things that you share, just connecting with you emotionally, like from, from listening to you. If, if someone's out there just feeling lost or feeling stuck and just not even knowing where to begin, what, what kind of advice could you sh- give them or share with them as far as where to go from here? I would say it is okay to take care of yourself. You know, as, as, I mean, people of all ages, really, we get caught up in the, you know, I should be doing this. I need to be doing that. You know, these are the expectations of me. And, you know, we go through life and those continue to build and build and we forget who we are. We forget what we need. We forget how to take care of ourselves. You know, Jordan always used to say before our event happened in 2016 before I had, you know, my first crisis actually due to trauma that I was going so fast that I wasn't going to hit the, or that I was going to hit a wall. The wall was going to jump out, you know, and, and hit me, help me rephrase, phrase that for me. You do it much better than I do. 
I always said that you were you were cruising full steam at that wall at about 150 miles an hour, and in the end, the wall came out and bit you. That's it. He says it so much better. And, you know, I never believed him. I just always, you know, you're whatever. Because I was taught growing up mm-hmm. to put your head down and go. Mm. Success, 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 success. Regardless of your needs, regardless right. of this. Right. You know, and that was ingrained from a very early age. And it wasn't out of malice. But as I would grow older and that would build and build and build, I stopped thinking about, you know, what was best for me. But I was living what was modeled for me, mm-hmm. right? And the only way I could fill or try to fulfill this need within me was to be fully successful, but I was never going to get there, you know? And through all of that, I stopped remembering what I needed. You can only go so far before that wall does, you know, you hit the wall or the wall hits you. And Jordan's right, the wall hit me. I wish I would have known well before 2016 what this type of care, self-care looked like. Mm. And I only say that because, again, things could have been different, but also many people, I think, exist in the same mind frame as I do. And these things do happen, but they don't think that, you know, they have the type of ability mm-hmm. or they deserve to do it. And so that that would be my underlying encouragement is it doesn't matter who you are. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to live in pain. There is freedom. And it takes a lot of very hard work. It's not a pretty process, but there's so much freedom in it. There's so much freedom in it if you just allow yourself to do it. Yeah. And you deserve to do it. I love that so much. You deserve it. You deserve it. Thank you, Brooke and Jordan. We so appreciate you sharing your story. If you or someone you love is struggling with the negative effects of unaddressed trauma, the safety, community, and expert care of the residential experience at Milestones may offer the individualized help and healing you need. Milestones is a -a one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience, serving individuals adversely affected by symptoms of unaddressed trauma, including anxiety, depression, codependency, and PTSD, This innovative and integrative program offers a variable length of stay from 30 to 90 days specific to individual needs. When life feels like too much, Milestones offers a refuge and a place of healing. Learn more at experiencemilestones.com. Also, we would love to help you explore the right option for you. You can connect with our admissions team for a confidential call at 1-800-341-341. 7432. That's 1-800-341-7432. Or you can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. Healing is possible and you deserve this.